Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Its olive trees are very old. It's Gethsemane, a place even today for tears. Here, Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him. They fell asleep, causing the Savior to ask, Could you not watch with me one hour? Today, we ask that question anew. From the Moody Church in Chicago, this is Running to Win with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, whose clear teaching helps us make it across the finish line. Pastor Lutzer, you and I have been together in Gethsemane, and I remember seeing tears in your eyes in that sacred place. You know, Dave, frequently people ask, what is your favorite place in Israel? Many people say it's the Sea of Galilee, perhaps it is the Jordan River. But I answer always consistently, the Garden of Gethsemane. There's something about that place that touches my heart very deeply, and I think it touches the heart of every single Christian. It is here before the Father that Jesus Christ wrestled, and Jesus Christ as man suffered agony. And of course, we know that whole experience. And I've often thought to myself, if he asked the disciples to watch with him for an hour, can we do that? Well, that's this series of messages. What a challenge it is for all of us. So let's go to the pulpit of Moody Church and find out what it might be like for Jesus, who of course did watch for more than one hour, and how might that apply to us? Let's listen carefully. The question that I begin with today is very simple. That is this, if your priorities are reflected by your schedule, if somebody were to look at your schedule, how important would they conclude that God was to you? If it's true that our schedules reflect our priorities, how important is God to us today? How much time in his word and in prayer? Jesus was going through the convulsions of an emotional earthquake. He was about to become sin for humanity. He was about to be identified with sin. He was about to be crucified. And the agony that he experienced in Gethsemane was not agony that came about because he feared crucifixion, horrendous though that was, but That was a means by which people died in those days, by the thousands. But the agony that he was going through was one of being separated from the Father, and there in Gethsemane he settled the issue, and he asked three of his disciples to come and to be with him as he prayed. The text is the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, and I'll begin at verse 36. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. We read, Then Jesus went out with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. 
And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Just that far for now. Let me tell you the purpose of this message. I hope it's very clear. It is to motivate you to accept an invitation from the Lord Jesus that he gave to Peter, James, and John to pray for one hour with him. One hour a week is today's challenge. Maybe on a Tuesday night, maybe on a Saturday morning from 6 to 7, whatever hour you designate for 52 weeks, each week to spend one hour with Jesus in prayer. Now, in order to motivate you to do this, I want to answer four questions that come to us from the text of Scripture regarding praying with Jesus Christ for an hour. The first question, of course, is simply this. uh, Why pray with Christ for one hour? Why accept this invitation? And the answer, very simply, uh, is that, uh, first of all, because it's a tremendous privilege. Jesus had 70 disciples, and then he had the 12, and then within the 12, there were Peter, James, and John, and we're not sure exactly why he chose them. It almost appears as if they were his favorites. They are the ones that were invited also onto the Mount of Transfiguration. But Jesus invites them and says, come watch with me during this time of my agony. What a privilege to respond to Jesus just like that. And even though he's not on earth anymore in a physical body, is it not true that he invites us, as it were, in heaven to watch with him? He is, after all, the high priest who intercedes for us moment by moment, 24 hours a day, he keeps supplying to God what God demands on our behalf. So when we invite, when we accept the invitation to pray with Jesus for an hour, we're not praying alone. We actually are praying with him. It is us interceding with Christ before the throne of grace. And you'll never be closer to Jesus than when you kneel with him in prayer. It's a privilege to pray an hour. Let me say that it's also necessary. You'll notice that uh, the disciples were asleep, which is really a picture of the church today, asleep. But you'll notice in verse 41, the passage that I read, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's necessary if we're going to keep ourselves from sin, Interestingly, Peter was asleep during this time, and later on that evening, he denies three times that he ever knew Jesus. And so if Peter had stayed awake and maybe interceded with Christ, perhaps he would have passed that test. But Jesus said, watch and pray because temptation is ever with us. I don't need to tell you the stories of Christians who have fallen into serious temptation 
that they see really no easy way out of. It happens all the time. And Jesus says, watch and pray lest it happen to you. This past week I was talking to a man who was a very successful businessman. And a number of years ago, about 13 or 14 years ago, because of a medical procedure, he was totally debilitated in a stroke. Today, he is but a shell of his former self. He can't walk unless you help him. He basically has to sit hour by hour, year after year. And I said to him, have you ever been able to come to terms with what happened to you? And he said, I thank God every day for what happened to me. And then he surprised me by saying this, because if this had not happened, he'd have said, I'd have had both the money and the time to pursue the sins of my youth. Ouch. He was saying, and I know that it was difficult for him to accept it when it first happened many years ago, but what he was saying is it was worth it because this debilitation kept me from pursuing sins that would have led me away from God. And I thought to myself, I wonder if the medical procedure that went wrong was an answer to the prayer of some mother who said, please keep my son from being led into gross sin. Temptation is ever with us. Falling into sin is ever a possibility. Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. We think of wayward children and we think of those who are addicted and we know the great need for intercessory prayer. So one reason is because it's a privilege. Second is because it's necessary. And third, it's because it's a passing opportunity. Verse 43 Jesus comes to them the third time. By the way, they did fall asleep three times. I read this passage again yesterday a couple of times just to make sure I was getting it right. Three times, at least the third time Jesus comes to them and uh, it says in verse 44, he found them sleeping in verse 43. He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then verse 45, he comes to the disciples. Now it is the third time. Sleep and take your rest later on because the man who's betraying me is here. In other words, it's too late now. (laughs) I asked you to pray with me when I was in my agony to watch with me, to intercede with me, but you slept through the experience and now Judas is on his way. Let's get up and let's go. It's a passing opportunity. You will never pass this way again. No way to somehow make up for the mistakes of yesterday and the wasted time of last week. You're you're passing through once. Opportunities come and go. So I need to ask you a question. In 10 years from now, will you have wished that you had taken out one hour a week to pray and to be with Jesus? I think so. I think 10 years from now, if you live that long, you'll say, oh, I wished I had done it. Well, there's only one way to fulfill that wish, and that is to do it and to begin today, begin next week as we begin a brand new year. First question to ask, uh, why should we do it? Next question, when should we pray? Jesus was here in great agony, but 
When you look at his whole life, he was filled with constant prayer. Jesus prayed when things were going well. The Bible says that they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And he spoke so warmly and so beautifully. It says that the multitudes followed him. But the text says he himself would slip away often to pray. Things are going well, he prayed. When uh, the public opinion turned against him and he began to be rejected and when they tried to push him off the brow of a hill as they did in Nazareth, what do we read? It says that Jesus would go onto a mountain and spend the whole night in prayer as the Son of God. Now, of course, uh, I don't know that we could do that. We wouldn't have the physical strength. And that's not what my challenge before you is. My challenge is one hour, one out of 168 hours a week. Jesus prayed when things were going well, when things were going poorly, when he was rejected. He prayed under pressure. Very interesting story in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is there. He heals some people. And the next morning, a huge crowd comes looking for him. And nobody can find him. And the disciples find him praying. And they say to him, everybody's looking for you. You know, I I look at that passage and I just can hardly read it. Because if there's anything that a preacher likes, it's a crowd. If I were praying and somebody nudged me and said, everybody's there waiting for you to preach... I'd say set up the microphone equipment because I'll be there. But interestingly, the Bible says that Jesus said, I have other places to go. And he departed and he left the crowd unsatisfied and disappointed. He had an agenda. But notice he was praying. When did Jesus pray? He prayed without ceasing. You see, many of us think to ourselves that uh, we're too busy to pray. That, of course, is not true at all. Are you going to watch at least one hour of television a week in the new year? At least one hour a week? Many of us watch a lot more than that. It's not a matter of saying that you don't have the time. We're getting to the real matter now as we come to the third question. And the third question is, what are the struggles that we're going to encounter when we pray? Why is there so much resistance? Why is it that when we begin to do it, it seems as if every demon in hell begins to show his face? Well, you can begin to understand that, don't you? What are the struggles that we're going to experience when we pray? What is going to be in opposition to you if you say, yes, by God's grace today, one hour a week for the coming year? That's in addition to my regular devotional time. This is just one special hour a week in addition to what I'm doing. What are some of the struggles that you're going to have? Well, number one, a place to pray. If you live in a very busy home, perhaps a small home, you might find it difficult. That's why your prayer time may be early in the morning or late at night. I believe it's very important. Jesus always went to Gethsemane. It says that whenever he went to Gethsemane, the disciples knew that it was there to pray. Jesus said, it's time to pray. Gethsemane's the place. I love that. And we love the Garden of Gethsemane today, don't we? If you've ever been to Israel, because that's where Jesus prayed. Do you have a place of prayer? 
I have a place at home, and I also have a place here at the church, and I always say that that is my place of prayer. When I'm really serious and when I need some time to pray, that's where I go. Do you have a place to pray? Now, you always can't pray there, obviously, because you may be traveling and because of schedules and so forth, but there should be a place to pray. But that's not going to be your biggest struggle. Your biggest struggle is going to be your motivation. The Spirit is willing. Oh, yes, we heard that message and we signed up. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak because there are all these other things to do. And furthermore, my day is falling apart and nothing's going right and today is not the time to do it. Because as I'm saying, the opposition is going to be relentless all 52 weeks. I have in my hand something that was written by Sidlow Baxter. Now, he was a Scottish pastor, a great preacher. And as I read about his struggle with prayer, I wonder if you can identify. I mean, this is my story, too, so I know I can. He says that he wanted to get up early in the morning to pray and to do so with some regularity. But he says, just as the stars in their courses fought against Sisera, so the stars in their courses seemed set on smashing my well-made plans. He said, I would begin and so forth. But then uh, he says, I won't take the time telling you all of the subtle subterfuges which Satan used to trip me up and trick me out of keeping my plans. And he says, it isn't necessary because he says, you know them all. Many times, he says, my time for prayer and Bible study were getting crowded out, and he says, I was getting used to it. Are you used to it? And then, uh, he says, uh, he began excusing himself, and his prayer life became a case of sinning and repenting. Every time I got down to pray, I had to start weeping and ask God's forgiveness because of my prayerlessness. Then all of it came to a crisis. At a certain time one morning, I looked at my watch, and according to my plan, for I was still persevering, I was to withdraw for an hour of prayer. I looked at my watch, and it said, time for prayer, said, but I looked at my desk, and there was a miniature mountain of correspondence, and something within me said, you ought to get those letters answered. So as we say in Scotland, I swithered, I vacillated, prayer or letters, prayer or letters, yes, no. And then a little voice began to speak into my inner conscience that said, Look here, Sid, what's all this bother? You know very well what you should do. The practical thing is to get those letters answered. You can't afford time for prayer this morning. And the voice said, Look here, Sid, don't you think the Lord knows how busy you are? You're having conversions. The church is growing. God is pleased with you. Look, Sid. You'd better face up to it. You're not one of those real spiritual ones. He said, I don't want to use extravagant phrases, but if you had plunged a dagger into my bosom, it couldn't have hurt me more. You're not one of those spiritual ones. He said, I looked within and I found that there was a part of me that wanted to pray and there was a part of me that didn't want to pray. Anybody here identifying? Or am I all alone up here this morning? Huh? I'm not alone? All right. He said, the part of me that did want to pray was the intellect and the will. The part that didn't was my emotions. Suddenly I found myself asking Sidlow Baxter, are you going to let your will be dragged around by your changeful emotions? So I said to Will, Will, are you ready for prayer? Will said, here I am. 
So I set off to pray, and all of my emotions began to talk. They said, we're not coming, we're not coming, we're not coming. So I said to Will, Will, can you stick it out? He said, yeah, I can if you can. A little bit of schizophrenia going on here. So Will and I dragged off those wretched emotions by the scruff of the neck, and we went to prayer. If you had asked me, did you have a good time? Did you have a good time? I said, of course not. He said, what I would have done without will, I don't know. In the middle of my most earnest intercessions, I found that one of my principal emotions was away out on the golf course playing golf. I had to run out to the golf course and drag him back. He says, a few of my emotions had traveled a day and a half ahead and were preaching a sermon I hadn't even yet prepared. I had to say, come back. He said, it wasn't a good time. It was exhausting. He said, this went on for about three weeks, but Will and I stuck it out. And then one morning during that third week, I looked at my watch and I said, Will, it's time for prayer. Are you ready? And he said, yes, I'm ready. And just as we were going in, I heard one of my chief emotions say to the other, Ah, come on, fellows. There's no use wearing ourselves out. They're going to go pray no matter what we do. Suddenly, one day, while Will and I were pressing our case at the throne of heavenly glory, One of the chief emotions shouted, Hallelujah! And all of the other emotions said, Amen! And for the first time, the whole territory of James Sidlow Baxter was happily coordinated in the exercise of prayer. Of course it's going to be tough. Of course you're going to have opposition. Of course the kids are going to misbehave. Of course your husband is going to be irritable. Of course expect all the opposition. Because the devil knows that if you're really serious, you are going to do some serious damage to the kingdom of darkness. And he will resist you and you'll say to yourself, I'm not spiritual enough for this. Well, that's a good reason to sign up. We've answered three questions today. Why should we pray? When should we pray? What are the struggles we're going to have? How do we pray with Christ for one hour? How do we do it? In your bulletins today, there is another insert. I wonder if you'd take out the time right now to get it out. It's a little pamphlet entitled, Your One-Hour Prayer Guide. So this is a guide that goes through the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven tells you how to meditate some ideas, the key concepts of the Lord's Prayer, and then praying for other specifics like your immediate family, your relatives, and so forth. This serves only as a guide. You know, my friend, one of the ways in which we can pray for an hour, of course, is to pray Scripture. Whether we are using the Lord's Prayer or any other passage, it can be turned into a prayer. Knowing that has certainly changed my prayer life. I want to thank the many of you who support the ministry of Running to Win. You know, through the grace of God, we are now heard in many different countries, including the Middle East in Arabic, throughout Central America, Central and South America, in Spanish on about a hundred stations. We do this because of your faithfulness. You've heard me say many times that this is not a ministry of one man or a church or an organization. Would you consider standing with us as an endurance partner? You say, well, Pastor Lutzer, what's that all about? 
Here's what you can do. Go to rtwoffer.com. That's rtwoffer.com. Click on the Endurance Partner button. Or if you prefer, call us at 1-888-218-9337. Let me give you that number again. 1-888-218-9337. You can write to us at Running to Win, 1635 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60614. For Jesus, praying in the garden was very tough. Next time on Running to Win, why making the commitment to pray one hour a week will always bring struggles like those Jesus faced in Gethsemane. Let's all covenant to set aside one hour a week for Jesus. Thanks for listening. For Dr. Erwin Lutzer, this is Dave McAllister. Running to Win is sponsored by the Moody Church.